Well, you know, the story of this church is not a story about a place. It's not a story about a location. Uh, it's not a story about buildings or programs or special events. Those, those, of course, are all details that provide some of the setting and context for the story. But the actual story of this church is you. It's your lives and what God has been doing in you and what he's been doing through you as a part of this family. That is the story of Upcountry Church. And of course, God is the author of the story, Jesus Christ being the foundation, the basis of the story, which is being told through each one of your lives. And it's a beautiful story. It's one that I'm profoundly grateful to be a part of because it chronicles this ongoing transformation, the discipleship that's happening day after day and week by week and year after year in our lives. And it, it also the impact of what all of us are doing together and what it's having on this community and people around the world. There's really nothing else quite like it. When you look back over the past 10 years, seeing the very real and measurable effects this church has had on human lives, both near and far, it never gets old. Hearing the stories, the testimonies of how people have been changed, enlightened, encouraged, redeemed, restored, healed, accepted, even sent out by God through this local church. There's, there's just nothing else like it, which is, I think, the way it's supposed to be. Uh, you know, God didn't write a, a, a backup plan into the script just in case the church doesn't make it. No, the church is God's plan for spreading the gospel and making disciples in this world, and there is no backup plan. We're it. And so as gratifying and encouraging as it is to look back on what he's already done through Upcountry Church, it's far more stirring for me to think about what he's going to do through Upcountry Church as we look ahead to all the parts of the story that have yet to be told through your lives. And so what that story actually looks like going forward of course is largely dependent upon how we choose to build on the foundation that has now been laid the apostle paul had this to say to the church that he started in corinth i'm reading from first uh, corinthians 3 10 through 15 he said according to the grace of god given to me like a skilled master builder i laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul says, I started this church like a master builder, laying the foundation. That word master builder, he uses his architect tone in the Greek. It's the English word, it's where the English word architect comes from. And like an architect, Paul says, I laid a foundation for the church, but that's just the beginning. To construct a building, you start with the foundation, but then you have to build up from there. Right? The architect, the builder cannot do it all himself, so alongside him come skilled workers who are all gifted in different areas, and they all work together to build the building into what it's supposed to become. But Paul also warns them to take care in how they build on that foundation as they go. He compares gold, silver, and 
precious stones, to the materials used in building Solomon's temple, by the way, with wood, hay, and straw, materials that, of course, don't last, because you can cover up shoddy materials. You can cut corners and use people who are not committed to building the right way. You can skip important steps in the process. You can build too fast. You can build with inferior materials, but still, you can dress it up on the outside, and that building will look great. And yet, when it's put to the test, the structure will fail every time. Or you can take your time and do it right. You can use the right people and the best materials with the greatest care and attention to detail. And when that building is tested, it will be proven worthy of what it was built for. Okay? What we have here at Upcountry Church is a strong foundation. What the future of this church looks like, well, that depends largely on how we build upon that foundation, which we're going to talk about more in a moment. But first, you have to start with a foundation that is strong because anything that lasts, okay, anything that stands the test of time, that withstands the storms of life, that holds fast when challenges come, it must be built on a firm foundation. And of course, uh, at just over 400 people now, it still seems small at the moment. But listen, when you build a building, you first see the foundation. If any of you have built a home, you know this is true. When you first see the foundation sitting there, boy, it always seems really small. And that's okay, because great things always come from small things. Great things always grow from small things. It was a um, tremendous amount of work. It was slow and deliberate, but eventually it came together, and that's how it should be, because the foundation has to be sure. You have to take the time to build the right way. And then once the foundation is laid, then others come along, just as Paul said, and they join in and they build on that foundation until it becomes something truly beautiful, which is the story of the church. It's the story of this church. All of us building something beautiful on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. And so again, as wonderful as it is to look back and see everything he's done here over the past 10 years, which is uh, right for us to do, by the way, because it's a testimony to who he is and what he's done for us. But as wonderful as that is, we also have to look ahead to where he's leading us as we move forward, because I believe we've only just begun to build. And look what this church uh, looks like 10, 20, 30 years from now. That depends on how we continue to build in the days to come. And I'll just tell you, it is infinitely harder to have to go back and fix something in the structure after it is finished, something that wasn't done properly to begin with. It is infinitely harder to go back later and fix it than it is to build it right as you go. That's one of the reasons uh, we've never rushed this process these past 10 years because we've no interest in breaking church growth records at the expense of breaking the church's health. And so although not, certainly not perfect, we've been very deliberate and very careful to try and build the right way, which we are committed to keep doing. But listen, that's dependent upon all of us now because we are Upcountry Church. This beautiful story is our story, and yet it has just begun. There's so much more that God has in store for your life and the life of this church. There's so much more that he wants to do in you and through you. And there's so much more to this story, but that means all of us being committed to building the right way. And so as we take a break today from our current sermon series, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation. Today, as we celebrate our 10-year anniversary, we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about building his church and what that looks like 
when it's done the right way, because your ability to, to withstand the pressures that will be brought to bear upon the church in the future, right, will depend on how we build the church today, okay? Being the church, which we are, being the church is uh, probably not going to get easier in this country as we move forward. It's very likely that professing to be a Christian in our culture will become increasingly troublesome and maybe even significantly less popular in the future than it is now. I was uh, listening to uh, an author and businessman talk about how making it a point to tell your clients or customers that you were a Christian and a member of whatever church years ago in this country, he was talking about how that was highly beneficial to your business because being a part of the church was largely seen as a positive attribute at that time. But he said today, just mentioning that you're a Christian or a member of the church can be the death nail for your business, at least as far as some are concerned. And of course, that has nothing to do with persecution, but it has everything to do as an indication of the ever-changing disposition of the church uh, in our culture. So it's a simple reality that the climate in this country toward Christianity is changing, which means the local churches, and this is the point, that are still gonna be here 10 years from now and beyond, will be the ones that took the time and care and effort to build the right way because they'll be made up of believers who understand what it means and are committed to actually being the church. All right, let's see what Jesus had to say about that. We're gonna look at a couple really short but very important parables that he taught in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we'll start with verses 31 and 32 where Matthew, speaking of Jesus, says he put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Back in the first three verses of this chapter, Matthew says there were so many people crowding around Jesus that came to hear him preach that he got into a boat on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and began teaching these huge crowds from there. Local church tradition tells us that the location was probably a place called the Cove of Parables, which is a, this natural sort of horseshoe amphitheater, uh, and because of its shape would have carried Jesus' voice, they say, over 300 feet from the boat he was in to all of the hundreds of people on the shore, and it just so happened that mustard trees grew all along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, so they would have been immediately in view as Jesus is sharing this parable where he compares the kingdom of heaven to the seed of a mustard tree. Okay, of, of all the known seeds that were used for planting in Israel, the mustard seed was the smallest, and yet when it was fully grown, it ends up as a tree uh, between six and 20 feet tall and uh, even 30 feet tall. Some have been known to grow in 20 feet around. So he's comparing the kingdom of heaven to that tree that begins as a tiny, seemingly insignificant seed because at that moment when Jesus uttered these words, think about this, the entire citizenship of the kingdom of heaven on earth was comprised at that moment of nothing more than Jesus and his disciples. Barely a handful of individuals with no property claims, no massive membership, no religious center, and yet they were living within another kingdom, the Roman Empire, which at its height controlled lands from northwestern Europe to the Near East, including parts of Africa and Asia and all the lands of the Mediterranean, and it was packed full of religions with vast followings of people. 
you had all the gods and goddesses of the pantheon of Rome, the all-male cult of Mithras, which had a huge following at the time, not to mention the mystery religions that were rampant throughout the Mediterranean. These religions dominated the known world at the time. And then you had Jesus and his handful of followers who in comparison from a size perspective must have seemed completely insignificant. And of course, Jesus recognizing that compares the kingdom of heaven to a tiny mustard seed among all the other plants in the garden, those with much larger seeds. And yet when fully grown, not only would the mustard tree grow exponentially larger than all of those other plants, but it would stand the test of time long after all of those other plants had died away. And do you know, all of those other first century religions I just talked about, they all died away. They're gone. They no longer exist. While Christianity has become the largest religious following in the world by far. See, without question, this very prophetic parable by Jesus has already come true, and yet the mustard tree is still growing. Christianity is still spreading and will continue to until Jesus comes back again. It's a beautiful story about something that started so small but will continue to grow until the end of days. This is the point Jesus was making. The church is supposed to grow. This isn't some kind of static religion that we serve until something better comes along or it becomes no longer relevant for our culture and so it eventually dies out. No, Christianity is the fellowship of human beings with the living God. There's no expiration date there. It's going to continue to grow because we're not following a religion. We're following, of course, Jesus Christ, who's alive and well, which means our very lives should be radiating his love in us to all those around us to the point that unbelievers see the reality of Christ living inside of us and want what we have. Referring to the church, the Apostle Paul said, speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who's the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, that's you and me, is working properly, makes the body what? Grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. The church is supposed to grow. That's why we're here to share what we've been given with those who have yet to experience it. You see, there should be a conviction, if not a burden, within every one of us, each one of us, to make disciples. And so it's right for us to ask ourselves, when I think about the church, do I think about who I can bring with me to our gatherings, or do I just think about who will already be there? When I think about the church, do I think about what I can do to serve others, or do I just think about how the church can serve me? When I think about the church, do I think about what I can give? Or do I just think about what I can get? How much actual time in your day do you spend thinking of ways you can contribute to the church of Jesus Christ? Why? To see it grow. How much time do you spend thinking about those who do not know Jesus Christ? Because the church is supposed to grow. And we're, we're going to talk about how that happens in a moment. But if we have no heart for the lost, then we'll make no contribution to the growth of the church. You see, it doesn't matter how much we know if we don't ever share it. It doesn't matter how much we have if we don't ever give it. It doesn't matter how gifted we are if we don't ever use it to see the church grow. The story of Upcountry Church is a beautiful story, but it's just begun. Are you passionate about seeing the church grow to become all that it can become? Of course, every local church 
listen, has an optimal size based on its leadership and its structure and the community and the passion of the people for the lost and so on. There's a, a great pastor and author, Bob knows him, Carl Vaders. He wrote a book about church growth. It's titled The Grasshopper Myth, where he uses the tree as an analogy for the church. And in that book, he says there are all different types of trees, right? Just like there are all different types of churches. And of course, some trees grow very large, while others, even at full maturity, remain very small. And then you have everything in between, right? The point being, whether you're an oak tree, a redwood tree, or a bonsai tree, there's a point at which every tree stops growing in size, right? If a bonsai tree grows the size of a redwood, we have a problem, right? If a redwood tree never gets bigger than an oak tree, there's a problem. In other words, trees don't keep getting larger forever. They reach an optimal size and then they stay that size, but that doesn't mean they're not healthy trees. On the contrary, long after a tree has reached its optimal size and stopped growing, if it's healthy, it continues to produce fruit for many, many years, which means church growth and church health are not always synonymous. So we have small churches, medium churches, large churches, and mega churches, and the kingdom of God is made up of the people in all of those different sized churches, and all of those churches, if they're healthy, will produce a lot of fruit long after they've stopped growing in size. So that the kingdom of God never stops growing even though the local church may not continue to get larger and larger and larger forever, right? But if we're healthy, we will continue to produce fruit for the kingdom, which means kingdom growth that never stops. That goes on forever. And so here's the point. At the end of the day, listen, the amount of people who end up calling upcountry church our home, uh, their home, that's up to God. The amount of fruit this church ends up producing, that's up to us. The truth is the church has produced a lot of fruit over these past 10 years, yet I feel such a, strong, uh, such a strong conviction that we've only scratched the surface. In fact, I don't believe we've even come close to reaching our optimal size, and I'll tell you why. There are over half a million people in Greenville County alone, and out of those half million people, more than 40% of them claim no religious affiliation at all. That means conservatively, 200,000 people just in this county are without Christ. I'd say we have some work to do because Upcountry Church is a beautiful story, but it's just begun, and I believe it's time now more than ever to get busy doing what Jesus commanded us to do, to make disciples as we reach the lost because the church is supposed to grow. The kingdom is supposed to grow. And again, I believe this church has a lot more growing to do. If, if just 1% of those 200,000 people called Upcountry Church home, we'd have another 2,000 people in our fellowship, we're gonna need a bigger building. We built a strong foundation, but it's just the beginning. Let's continue reading the next parable, Matthew 13, verse 33. He says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables, excuse me, 33, he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Uh, so Jesus first compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed, and now he compares it to leaven. Leaven, uh, usually in the form of yeast, is what makes dough ferment and rise when making bread. And of course, we don't think much about leaven today, but the nomadic ancestors of the Hebrews, much like the Bedouin tribes of today, by the way, make their bread without leaven. And so as using leaven became more common, 
people became very aware. They understood the effect that leaven had on the dough. In fact, it, it took a very small amount of leaven to be hidden in the dough, which was then worked or kneaded in with the rest of the batch until all of the bread would then become leaven. In Galatians 5.9, Paul reminds the church that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so leaven was widely understood as a pervasive agent in making bread, whether you view that positively or negatively, everyone understood that just a little leaven would completely transform all the dough that it came in contact with. Jesus was saying this is the effect the gospel has in our society, right? The church grows by spreading the gospel. So look, the, the spiritual equivalent of the leaven is not how cool a church is. It's not how friendly the church is. It's not how the church presents itself to the community. I'm not saying those things don't matter. There can certainly be value assigned to all of that, but the spiritual equivalent of the leaven is none of those things. The spiritual equivalent of the leaven is the gospel, which means being cool, as great as that may be, will not change our community. Being friendly isn't going to change our community. Even being relevant will not change our community because only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change human hearts and transform an entire community of human souls. Which means what we're actually saying to people when we witness to them is of paramount importance because you can love people. Listen, you can love people with all the authenticity and sincerity in the world as we should. But a Muslim can love someone with just as much authenticity and sincerity as we can. So can a Buddhist, so can a Hindu, so can a Mormon. Yes, we're commanded to love people, but the gospel is about far more than just showing genuine affection and acceptance and compassion to people. It's about telling them the truth about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. Earlier we read in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, where Paul says, speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up into every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So it builds itself up in love. Love is a key ingredient here, but we can't ignore the very first part of that passage, the part about speaking the truth in love. We must speak the truth if human souls are to actually be saved, redeemed, and transformed. Look, a big part of loving people is actually telling them the truth. In fact, that's the most loving thing we could ever do, actually telling them the truth about Jesus Christ because everything else they ever accept from us, our kindness, our compassion, our gifts, our help, all of that is wonderful, but it's also temporary. If they accept the gospel, well, that is eternal. So we have to be very careful when, for instance, we say we're ministering or witnessing to unbelievers that we are actually at some point in that relationship speaking the truth of the gospel to them because there's no substitute for the proclamation of the gospel. Yet there are people, and honestly, contemporary Church teaching is partly to blame for this, where people share a testimony about something God did for them and then walk away believing they shared the gospel with that person. Now look, we're supposed to share our testimonies with people. 
That's what makes the gospel personal and relatable to people who hear it. Our testimonies are evidence that the gospel is truly working in people's lives, but our testimonies alone are not the same thing as the gospel. Your testimony is your story. The gospel is his story. Simply telling someone that Jesus did something for you, that he gave you strength in a difficult situation, he gave you peace when your life was in turmoil, that he miraculously met a need in your life, that is great and you should do that, but that's not the gospel. Personal testimonies will not leaven our community. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. It's not a forceful thing. It's not God's people. You know, we're not standing out on a street corner being obnoxious or demanding. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Three measures of flour is a lot of flour. It's about 50 pounds, enough to feed 150 people when baked, and yet no one would know the leaven was even there until the bread was produced. You see, the evidence that leaven had spread throughout the dough was found in the final product once the bread was produced. Only then could the effects of the leaven be seen, but not before, until then the leaven was hidden. Okay, the evidence that the gospel is being spread is not in how conspicuous we are in sharing it. It's not standing on the street corner shouting at people as they walk by. It's, it's not through trying to force ourselves on the culture, and it's certainly not through self-promotion. No, the evidence that the gospel is being spread in the, is, uh, in the product of that gospel, namely men and women, it's the product of that gospel, men and women's lives who have been changed by it. Okay, we don't have to self-promote what we're doing when we truly are sharing the gospel because the results speak for themselves. And everyone will know that transformation has taken place. And look, when that happens, when the gospel, not just our testimony, but when the gospel of Jesus Christ itself takes root in a community, in a culture, in the hearts of men and women, nothing can stop it. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The rock that Jesus says he'll build his church on is the proclamation of the truth about who Jesus is. What Peter had just confessed, he's saying my church will be built on the proclamation of the gospel and when that happens not even hell itself will be able to stop it it's of the utmost importance when we minister to other people when we encounter and especially enter into relationships with lost people it is critical to the kingdom of heaven the building of his church that we are committed to his agenda not ours which means we love people like Jesus loved them because it opens the doors for the proclamation of the gospel. And once we've shared the truth of the gospel, we testify to how that gospel has changed our own lives. That's the evidence that it is true and transformative. And all that is done very simply and very naturally as we engage other people in real relationships, loving them and sharing the truth with them as we experience this life together, okay? When, we're, uh, when living that way becomes a matter of course for your life, the evidence of it will be seen in the changed lives of other people all around you. You won't have to promote yourself and what you've done because it will be obvious in the lives of others. And that is how his kingdom spreads on this earth. 
That is how his church continues to grow like it's supposed to. Okay? 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, when we're all gone, what will people say about this church? What story will they tell? Will they talk about how cool we were? Will they talk about how friendly we were? Will they talk about how relevant we were? Or will they talk about how this church transformed a community? How lives were changed and the community changed because something that started so small grew into something so large and so lasting and so beautiful, something that never bragged on itself, but just quietly and consistently loved people and told them the truth about Jesus Christ day after day, week after week, year after year, until it spread throughout the city and the county and the state and far beyond. That's the story God is writing about this church. And he's writing it through your life. How big it gets, that's up to him. But how much we produce, how much gospel we are able to hide away in our community, how much the message of Jesus Christ gets needed into the lives of men and women who we encounter, that's up to us. We've built a good foundation. We're off to a good start. But it's just the beginning because there's much to be done. And that's okay, because great things always grow from small things. Which means whatever story is told about us over the next 20, 50, 100 years, it all starts with how we build on the foundation that we have today. And the truth is, I don't wanna just change our community for Christ. I wanna change the world for Christ. That's a story worth telling. It's a beautiful story.